Hello and welcome in to The Mashup, your number one source for sports gaming and everything in between. I'm your host, Jake Patterson. Sorry the show got delayed again by a day, but for whatever reason, it seems like whoever schedules Valorant tournaments hates both me and my production schedule. And they happen on Monday nights, when I usually record Monday afternoons. And I like covering Valorant, so when this happens, I have to move recording to Tuesday and put the episodes out on Wednesday. But we will get to that very, very good Valorant tournament that Immortals put on. But first, we'll recap the weekend. And the big storyline of the weekend was the insanity that was the Call of Duty League Minnesota Home Series. It got delayed by a week, and it did not disappoint. Fortnite. And what a home series this was, because I thought, oh, look, the three best teams in the league are all going to be there. (laughs) One of them will probably win their third home series title. Wrong, wrong, wrong. (laughs) It was the Florida Mutineers taking down the Atlanta phase three to one. And that was the least insane thing that happened. Like, Chicago lost to Florida on Friday night, which, at the time, was very surprising because I thought, wait, they're supposed to be good at search and destroy. That didn't happen. And the worst team in the league, LA Gorillas, beat the second worst team in the league in five games. That'll be important later. Atlanta beach Seattle in a reverse sweep where after going down 2-0, there was like a 30-minute technical issues delay, which people still have their suspicions about. (laughs) The only game that made sense on Friday was Dallas beating Minnesota 3-1. And Minnesota had their own issues this weekend where Alex had to get pulled from the lineup because of a thumb injury. The first injury in the history of the Call of Duty League is a thumb injury. Now, people from outside of esports were making fun of that, but anyone who has played Call of Duty, especially on controller knows, if you mess up your thumb, you can't play. <laughs> like, I know on PlayStation, which is what they use, they use PlayStation controllers, they're called analog sticks, but Xbox has always called them thumbsticks. <laughs> Like, that is their intended purpose. They are meant to be used with your thumbs, and you need them a lot in Call of Duty. Like, the fingers you need mostly are your thumb and your index finger. On both hands. If you jack up one of your thumbs, you can't play Call of Duty. And it seems like that's been nagging him for a while, and it finally got to be too much, and he just couldn't play anymore, which explains the slip in performance of the Minnesota Rocker over the last couple events. Where, from what I saw, it very much seems like this has been something that's been nagging him for a while now. And if that's the case, like, no wonder. Because I can't imagine trying to play Call of Duty with a jacked up thumb. Like... I remember 
breaking my wrist my freshman year of high school and Halo 3 ODST came out three days, four days later. You know how hard it was to play that game for a month when I had a cast on my right hand? It wasn't even my thumb. It was my wrist. But my hand was still very much restricted and it was incredibly difficult to play. I can only imagine if your thumb is just in pain... I can only imagine trying to play Call of Duty like that. Whew. And if that was an injury that's been nagging him for a while, credit to Alex for playing through it. <laughs> because that sounds very painful. But without him, they weren't able to do much. And they're just 0-2. They're gone. They're out of their own home series. Which seems to be a running curse, basically. Because Florida got destroyed at their own. Seattle got destroyed at theirs. Chicago got beaten pretty bad at, at their own. They made it to semis, but they still didn't win. Like, ever since Atlanta, teams have not performed well at their own home series. Like, LA, both teams were... Kind of bad, other than Optic, Optic LA made semis. But for the most part, especially the past three, the home team has not done very well at their own home series. The Mutineers went 0-2. The Surge also went 0-2. And the Rocker went 0-2. So that's a trend to keep your eye on in a couple weeks for Paris. But the two, like, big surprises of the... There were three big surprises this weekend. The fact that the Florida Mutineers won the thing by beating Dallas in the semis and Atlanta in the finals. Probably right now on paper, the two best teams in the league. And the fact that LA Gorillas made it to Sunday and took Atlanta to five games. Like... Atlanta went to five all weekend, but that was always a reverse sweep situation. They would go down 0-2 and then come back. They were tied after two rounds. Then Gorillas just destroyed them on domination, and then they won the second hard point in the second search. But that second search was a tough, tough fight. Like, Gorillas gave it to him, and I don't know what happened. I don't know where this Gorillas team came from, because I don't know about you guys, but I've been watching all season. Until now, they've sucked. This is the team who introduced itself to the league by winning their first map, being forced to forfeit the second, and then lo eventually losing that series as the crowd chanted, you can't do that at them for 10 minutes. That was their introduction to the world as the LA Gorillas. That says a lot. And they really didn't recover from that until this weekend, where they somehow made semis by beating Chicago in five games. That just blows my mind right there. <laughs> the fact that they... They were actually able to beat Chicago.
And then they lost to Atlanta. I really thought Atlanta was going to win the thing because they had just like come back against impossible odds all weekend long. Like not one, but two reverse sweeps in the same weekend. And a very tough battle against what is on paper an inferior team. And then you just get, then you just get absolutely stomped by the Florida Mutineers. And credit to the Florida Mutineers and Awakening. Dude made his debut this weekend and he carried that team to a championship. Dude made his debut for the Mutineers this weekend. I thought they were going to be screwed without Prestini. Like, I thought they needed him. I legitimately thought that team needed him. But clearly, they don't. Because they did a whole lot better than Chicago this weekend. Heck, they beat Chicago this weekend. And they also did something Chicago couldn't do. They beat L.A. So this was an absolutely insane weekend in the COD League. We got four events left. And two of the four teams who have won a home series so far, because only four teams have won, and they've both won two. Chicago's won two, Dallas has won two, Atlanta's won two, and now Florida has won a second. At least two of them are going to be at every event for the rest of the season. So that's going to be real fun. And the playoffs start in August, and the playoffs are just going to be absolutely nuts because let's be real depending on where you have them you could probably have a crowd again (laughs) and if you go to a market that actually likes esports that will let you have a crowd you're gonna get a rocking atmosphere (laughs) even if the place isn't full which it might not be able to be even if the place isn't full you're gonna have an insane atmosphere and the player cams They don't do it the same way having the guys on stage does. Because, like, think back to when events could actually happen on land with crowds. Remember all the trash talking? Remember all that incredible taunting and yelling at the other team? Like, personality-driven fun. You don't get that when they're just staring into a webcam. Because the two teams can't see each other. Which means they can't talk trash. Like, the the social media teams for everybody have picked up the slack big time. Because the memes were incredible this weekend. The memes were top tier this weekend. Like, so good. So many good memes. Like... Cod League social media teams, give yourself all a pat on the back because all of you are incredible. All of you are really good at your jobs. And I'm proud of all of you for your insane commitment to ridiculous memes. And one thing I've one thing I've noticed overall, the league has gotten deeper. The league has gotten so much deeper in just a couple months. Like when, when things started in February, you had maybe three good teams. Now, I would say you have eight out of 12. 
that's pretty good. <laughs> that's two-thirds of your league that are at least enjoyable to watch. Because, let's be honest, Toronto, still not very fun to watch. They usually get kind of stomped. Seattle, they're down there too. New York, eh, I still haven't seen enough of them to say they have totally improved. And really, LA Gorillas, I need to see more. But, actually, I'd put Paris down there because Paris has had had one good event and they've never really turned it around. But you have eight really good teams. Like, everyone is good, mostly, other than Toronto. Toronto still sucks. (laughs) But at the beginning of the season, both LA teams, hot garbage. Subliners, hot garbage. Toronto, they're still hot garbage, but they've gotten a little bit better. Minnesota, no one expected them to be as good as they are. Florida, no one expected them to be as good as they are. Like, Florida and Minnesota have probably been the two big surprises because Florida was the team of castoffs that no one else signed, and Minnesota, no one expected too much of them, and they turned out to be amazing. So, I am very excited for the final stretch. We have four events left. And then we have playoffs. And I'm looking forward to absolutely all of it. Because, eh, I wouldn't necessarily say you have eight good teams. I'd say you have six, which is half the league. You have your four title contenders, Chicago, Atlanta, Dallas, Florida, because they've won two home series now. They are title contenders. And then Minnesota and London. They're your top six. They're the best six teams in the league. I think any of those six teams has a very real chance to win the championship at the end of the season and walk away with that $2 million prize. Good God. $2 million. I mean, you're splitting it between five people, but that's still $400,000 a person. That's pretty good on top of the, I assume, very generous salaries they are already getting. So, buckle up, people, because we've got a wild couple of months. Because now that Minnesota got delayed a week, Paris is this weekend. And Florida... Dallas and Atlanta are all going to be there. London will be too. And you know what? I still have hope for London. Like, London versus Dallas is the second match on Friday. Sign me up. Sign me the heck up. Like... Group A in Paris is a veritable group of death. Paris, Florida, London, Dallas. And then Group B. New York, Optic, Atlanta, Toronto. I mean, I'd be very okay with an Atlanta versus Optic match because it's Phase versus Optic. And I'd like to see what Subliners have. Obviously, we'll get to the more in-depth preview on Friday's show, but 
we already got another home series coming this weekend. And if it's anything like this one, we're in for a fun weekend. <laughs> we're in for a very fun weekend of Call of Duty. I mean, look, I'm just as excited for it as anyone else for them to go back to land and play in front of crowds again because that is a million times better than this technical disaster that is online play because they've cleaned it up, but the technical side of the Cod League broadcast since they switched to online has not been as good. The casters have figured out how to do it, but there's still an energy missing that the Cod League had for those first, what, four events launch weekend through LA. Those first four events had an energy to them. The online play hasn't had that. But the level of play itself has been really, really good. So I'm ready for to enjoy these last four events because they are all going to be really, really good. Because you have a fair amount of good teams at all of them. <laughs> yeah, this is these these last four events are going to be very fun. So let me know what you guys thought of the Minnesota home series and what you think of Paris coming up this weekend over on Twitter at Real Patterson fifty at Mashup underscore Pod and. If uh, you don't want to check the schedule for yourselves, I'll run down the schedule for for Paris. Florida versus Paris to kick things off. Dallas versus London. Optic LA versus New York Subliners. And Toronto Ultra versus Atlanta Phase. Those are the first four matchups set for this weekend. And I'm not going to make my predictions yet. I'll wait till we get a little closer because roster changes could be made with some of these teams. So... I'll get my predictions in on Friday's show. But that's what I've got for Cod League. Up next, switch over to uh, what has effectively become the Little Brother League now that uh, Cod League has been much more successful in its first year than the Overwatch League has in its third. We'll get into the Overwatch League up next here on the Mashup. So time to talk overwatch league and let's just say they have learned their lesson despite the fact that most of the matches this weekend were basically blowouts you had a couple games where okay like all right we go three one we go to five but for the most part it was a weekend of blowouts shanghai blew out london new york blew out seoul Paris and Boston went to five, inexplicably. And Florida kind of walked the dog on Dallas. They they gave up a map, but Florida was clearly the better team. And I have some opinions about Florida. I think they are legit. I was mad at them for beating the Fusion in the semis of the May tournament. But I have cooled down a little bit. And they are a legitimate team. I still don't like them. 
And I still don't think they will win the whole thing. I think I still think that's coming down to Philly and San Fran. Like I am holding to that prediction because they're the two best teams in the league. I am still very much holding to that prediction. But Florida are legit. And Atlanta is rapidly slipping in my perception of them. Because clearly, once Hero Pools kick back in, they're not that good. They are good at one comp. And if they cannot play that one comp, they are screwed. And it's very evident by the fact that they got absolutely manhandled by the Gladiators. They got beat. And they got beat relatively convincingly. So, yeah. I am losing faith in the Atlanta Reign. Kind of slow. I'm just over the past couple times they've played. I haven't seen that much good from them. Like their last game out, they got completely manhandled by Florida. They weren't seated very high in the May Melee. They were the sixth seed. And then they got beat pretty convincingly by Florida. Like, congratulations, you swept Toronto. That is not that impressive because, as we saw this weekend, Toronto really sucks. Like, Toronto really, really sucks. Like, they had a hard time with Vancouver. And yes, Vancouver's getting better. They're adjusting to playing at the Overwatch League level. But they are still basically a contenders team. And if you even kind of struggle with them, you're not that good. I mean, sure, they swept them. But look a little closer. 2-1 on Ilios. 3-2 on Blizzard World. 3-2 on Anubis. If you have to go to overtime on Temple of Anubis with the Vancouver Titans... You're not that good. You're really not. Like, you are slightly better than the bottom feeders of the league. And it's a shame that Vancouver fell this far, but it's their own fault. It is the org's own fault for completely botching everything. With, like, they were handed a golden ticket. You were handed one of the most popular Overwatch teams in the world. You had a ready-made fan base of all of Runaway's fans. But you had to convert them to Vancouver Titans fans. And you failed miserably at that. And now, you completely botched the handling of sending them back to Korea. You didn't give them adequate facilities. Then you tried to bring them back to Vancouver. They refused. So, you had to scramble. And now, your team sucks. They're getting better, but they suck. <laughs> and the Washington Justice, same thing. Clearly, based on what Corey, who I would trust as a source, has said, that team is a bit of a mess. And, I mean, the, the firings of uh, Ballin and Bonnie. Like, the way that release was worded is just proof that that team is a complete 
an utter dumpster fire should prove everything. And now that Corey and Stratus are gone, they can't do anything. They were underperforming when Corey and Stratus were on the team. They still have talent, but now they can't close out fights to save their lives. Gee, I wonder why. Their two DPS stars are gone. It's it's their own fault. It is 100% their own fault. And maybe they can recover if they can make some trades or some free agent signings after the season's over and better teams let their DPS players go for bigger splashes. But as of right now, they have completely fallen off the wagon once Corey and Stratus retired. Like they got that win in Stratus's last game for him to ride off into the sunset because clearly he was very motivated to ride off into the sunset of, let's be real, Valorant with a win. And now they are hot garbage. They got absolutely destroyed by Los Angeles Valiant. Valiant, And that was the last game of the weekend. So not a good look for them. They're probably going to be a complete mess for the rest of the season. We're about to, we're a little over two thirds of the way through the entire season. We skipped a couple weeks because of the break they took after the melee, but we're essentially, we're a little more than two thirds through the season because they're going to take a couple weeks off after the summer showdown's over. And from that point, they're just going to play two more weeks to get everybody back to 21 games played and start the playoffs. So until... Until this season's over, I think the Washington Justice are going to be in the same boat they're in right now. Just kind of treading water until free agency really starts and they can get some good DPS players on the team. I don't know where they'll get them from, but they'd have to be able to find them somewhere and somehow. I'm sure they're still out there. I'm sure there are good DPS players in Overwatch that are still out there. They just have to find them. And one of the other Sunday matches, it went about as expected. The Fusion beat the Outlaws and looked pretty good doing it. I mean, yeah, they had to go to overtime, like an extra round on Volskaya, but they full held in that extra round and just kind of steamrolled on offense. I mean, they only needed one tick to score their third point, but still. It was a... Good performance out of them after the embarrassment against Florida in the May Melee semifinals. So I'm glad they seem to be getting back on track. As far as next weekend, I expect probably a little bit more of the same because you're not getting too many quality versus quality matchups. Like, Valiant versus Mayhem should be decent. But that's, like, it. (laughs) 
that's that's really about it as far as uh, potentially good matchups coming uh, coming next weekend. We get the good one in two weeks where uh, where Fusion play San Francisco. But overall, I am still excited for what Overwatch League is doing. Having these games actually have some kind of stakes to them makes the online play format much more watchable. And <laughs> they definitely tried something interesting on the second map of Vancouver versus Toronto. They had a three-man booth with, and they've done this for a couple weeks, but they had this guy, Spice Adams, join the broadcast. And this man basically knows nothing about Overwatch. But his commentary was still, I would say, pretty enjoyable. He was he was funny, he was entertaining, and he is learning the game. Which is all I can ask of a new commentator who's mostly brought in as a novelty. I mean, he only does one map a series, and his reactions are pretty funny. The the chat was completely divided. Like, half the chat really loved him, half the chat hated him, which, of course. But it was at least enjoyable. And I don't really like... I don't really like Jaws as a... Or no, that was that was actually a decent... That was actually a decent crew. That was Brennan's sideshow. So that that's not as bad. I don't like Jaws and Hex. <laughs> that that one wasn't as bad. But he was at least he was at least enjoyable. Because Sideshow's funny and makes a really good makes a really good straight man. Like plays the plays the comedic straight man so well to Spice's just ridiculousness. Like, I actually really enjoyed his commentary. It was something different. It was fun. It's a video game. Lighten up. Now, if he was casting an entire series that went five games, I would probably start to get annoyed with him. But he does one map in what is basically a meaningless series between the two worst teams in the league. It wasn't that big a deal. I I happen to enjoy his commentary. But... Let me know what you guys think of the results of this weekend. I know NA is very top-heavy and will probably continue to be so for the rest of the season where you basically have three, maybe four good teams in all of North America and everyone else ranges from meh to awful. When you have 13 teams in North America. And I would say only two of the two, maybe three of them are elite. And maybe two more are good. And everyone else is average or worse. NA, the, the NA teams need to step up their game if Overwatch League wants to survive. Which, again, I think it will at least survive into next season. Next season is the breaking point, though. Like I thought it would be this season, and then Corona happened. So I gave Overwatch League an extra season. 
to figure everything out and hope for the best. But if the playoffs and the finals end up being good, then this disaster of a season will be pretty much forgotten. Like if the playoffs end up even being okay, because like the season playoffs last year were pretty good. It's going to be hard to match that, especially if you don't have a crowd. But if they are at least good, I think Overwatch League is a much in a much better place heading into their fourth season than they would be if the playoffs are bad. <laughs> if the playoffs are bad, the league is screwed. But that's still like two months away. So we have we have a little while before we have to really start worrying about that. <laughs> but it's still a thought that I have in the back of my mind. Like if the playoffs aren't any good, this league is screwed. But let me know what you guys think on Twitter at real Patterson 50 at mashup underscore pod. But that's what I've got for the overwatch league up next. We're going to switch it over to the franchise league who has definitely gotten it very right. League of legends. That's up next here on the mashup. So we are back on the rift week one of the LCS summer split is complete and let's just say it was kind of spicy (laughs) like spicy is kind of a weird is kind of the perfect word to describe it because evil geniuses just came in nowhere and had basically the perfect weekend they beat 100 thieves pretty convincingly and then they perfect gamed CLG perfect game how often do you see that in League of Legends where you don't mis- accidentally make a, like a minor mistake and you die? Just once. Even like the absolute stomping that was the WWE versus NXT showdown at the end of 2018. The main roster WWE team got a couple kills. Most of them belong to Cutie Pie, who is the actual League of Legends player. But one of the members of that team got the occasional kill. And they still got wrecked. So, two pro teams having their match end with one team getting no kills in like 20 minutes. I was god-awful at League of Legends when I first started playing. And I was playing against... I was usually playing with friends who are way better than me, so it would throw the elo of the matchmaking off, and I'd play against people who are way better than me. And I would still end the game with at least two or three kills. (laughs) How did five pro players not get one kill between them? (laughs) How? And then they won their second game this weekend! They beat Immortals! So... Immortals, you might want to rethink that whole platoon strategy you got going going on and actually play X-Smithy. Just a thought. You know, I'm not a League of Legends expert by any stretch of the imagination, but maybe benching your best, one of your best players for the beginning of Summer Split is a bad idea. You should probably play him. Same thing with Dignitas. Like, I know they did tryouts and Acadian was the best guy for the jungle, but you should probably bring Dardock back because he may be kind of toxic, but he's a really good jungler. 
He's a really good juggler. And I'm just going to come out and say it. Liquid is better off without double left. <laughs> I mean, sure. They played TSM and they played Golden Guardians. TSM is a dumpster fire and the Golden Guardians suck. But still. With double left, they would have lost at least one of those games. <laughs> if double left was still on that team and he was playing like he did during spring, Team Liquid would have lost at least one of those games. Probably the Golden Guardians because it's more inexplicable. Like, TSM is a mess of a team. I don't know how... Yeah, they played Dignitas. That's why they won. Like, TSM is an absolute mess. Maybe they can turn it around, but I don't know. Like, that front office is a mess. Double Lift has a bit of a track record of teams he is on underperforming and having chemistry issues. Just a, just a bit of a track record of that happening. And I don't know what the heck happened to 100 Thieves. Like, sure, they lost Evil Geniuses. That was reasonably close. And they played Cloud9. I don't expect anyone to beat Cloud9 at the beginning of the split. I don't. I don't expect Cloud9 to lose probably until August. Like It will probably be the beginning of August before Cloud9 loses a match to anyone. And there's only two weeks in, the, in August in the summer split. So they, they could lose a game in, in the end of July, but I doubt it. They're probably not going to do a whole lot of losing. The other teams in the LCS are better, but so is Cloud9. So maybe teams will give them more of a challenge without actually beating them. At least that's what I hope will happen, because I'd like Cloud9 to perform well at Worlds. And if they just walk their way through the summer split and walk to another domestic championship, they're not going to do all that well at Worlds. They're, they're just not. I mean, they're, they're 2-0 right now, and overall, they're tied with Liquid and EG. They're in a three-way tie for first. We got a four-way tie for fourth, and a three-way tie for eighth. But it is only week one. I expect to see some separation. I think Immortals and Dignitas are probably going to stay down where they are. 100 Thieves is absolutely going to move up. CLG is going to drop because, I mean, they're CLG. They're really bad. The fact that they beat Dignitas is kind of a miracle. At least from their perspective. It was a disaster for Dignitas. But it was a, it was a good first weekend. It was a good, good first weekend. Like, EG came out of nowhere. They're... I mean, their new jerseys are very der derivative of Liquids, but hey, they got a good win. They got absolutely roasted on Twitter after they beat 100 Thieves. Like, whew. That was not pretty. <laughs> that was very not pretty. Called 100 Thieves an apparel company and then just got roasted by basically the entirety of 100 Thieves. League of Legends players are not. The team itself... 
some of their content people, the mob, all of 100 Thieves was just destroying them on Twitter. They, uh, they may have won on the raft, but when you have to change your logo three times in the space of a day, basically, because people are trashing it so much on Twitter, do not come at 100 Thieves for any kind of branding joke. <laughs> because last time I checked, Devin Booker does not own an Evil Geniuses hoodie. <laughs> He owns a hundred thieves hoodie and he's not playing Warzone with anybody from EG. He's playing Warzone with Nade shot. <laughs> so stay in your lane, EG trash talk. The fact that you beat them. Don't try to come with them with branding with your liquid ripoff ass jerseys <laughs> and your overdone logo. <laughs> Really, I'm just being honest here. I am telling it like it is. EG, you may have won, but let's be honest. You are not 100 Thieves, and you never will be. <laughs> they are the ones who are going to cross over into the mainstream. And if you're lucky, you will get a little bit of shine because you're in the same league as, what, two of their teams? If you end up signing a Valorant roster? Yeah. You won on the Rift. You had a good weekend. Brag about that. Don't try to trash the team who runs circles around you for running circles around you in branding stuff. And I'm going to say this too. I don't have much hope for TSM. I really don't have much hope for TSM because they're not very good. Their jungle is weak at best. Their Spica is not a jungler. I mean, he is a jungler, but he's not a very good one. Like, this team has lost a step. They really have. Like, sure, Biofrost is a good support. Bjergsen's a good mid laner. Broken Blade's a good top laner. Double Lift's a great AD carry. But for whatever reason, they can't put it together. They didn't do very well last split either. And I don't think the addition of Chemistry Killer Double Lift is going to do much to help you. Really at all. Like, I don't have much hope for TSM this year. I think they finish sixth. At best. And then they get stomped by a better team in the playoffs. I mean, I know it's only week one. Got a long way to go. The summer split regular season ends on August 9th. That is seven weeks from now. So we've got a long way to go. A long way. But I have my concerns about TSM. I definitely have my concerns about TSM because they've shown me nothing to make me think they're a well-run organization right now. Across the board, they're a poorly run organization. They're a legacy org, but they're very poorly run. That's just a fact. That is a that is a fact of life. And really, the curse of double lift is definitely a thing. Even though he is on the team, the curse of double lift is still very much hovering over TSM. 
at least for right now. Maybe that'll change. I hope for the sake of their fans' sanity that they can they can do a little bit better. But right now, I don't have much hope for them. I think this could be just be be me just being biased because they are technically my team. I think 100 Thieves will bounce back. I 100% think 100 Thieves will bounce back. Immortals, TSM, Golden Guardians, Dignitas, not so much. They're going to be your bottom four. Maybe CLG. Actually, CLG will probably be in the bottom four. TSM will be... TSM will finish in the bottom half of the league, though. They'll finish, Like I said, finish sixth. That's bottom half of the league. That's what they are. Adding double lift changed nothing. They are a middle-of-the-pack team at best. Even with him added in. Because he's a chemistry killer. Maybe I could be totally wrong about that. But I'm pretty solid on that prediction. The TSM's going to finish sixth place, sixth place at best in summer 2020. Cloud9's winning the whole thing. And they're winning the championship at the end of it. The fight is for two and three. Because... There are a lot of teams in North America that are capable of going to Worlds. It's just a matter of fighting for it. Because no one's going to beat Cloud9. But you can beat up each other for 2 and 3. And hopefully, that'll make North America a little bit more competitive at Worlds this year. Where we send 3 good teams instead of 1... And all three of them completely bomb out and embarrass us on the international stage. I really hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> but this is NA, and it's League of Legends, so it very well could. But I am still optimistic. I am going to be optimistic until the season ends. And until, until I see all three North American teams bomb out of Worlds this year... I am working under the assumption that at least one North American team will make it into knockouts. It'll probably be Cloud9, but at least one team will get into knockouts. But that's what I've got for League of Legends. It was a good week to kick off the summer split. I think there will be some sense of parity across the league this year, or this split, rather than the shocking mediocrity that was the entirety of spring. But we'll see. But that's what I've got for League of Legends. Up next, we'll get into the very, very good Immortals tournament for Valorant and what Riot is doing differently for their esports scene that I really like. We'll get into that next here on the mashup. Okay, final esports segment of the show because I've got some opinions about what baseball is doing right now. But final esports segment of the show, Valorant. It's why the show was delayed a day. But the Immortals First Light Tournament turned out to be really good and worth covering. So that's why the show is, is late a day. And I have to say, TSM, welcome to the top tier. You, in my opinion, have taken over that second spot from Gen G, at least for the moment. You and T1 right now are the two best teams in Valorant in North America. And 
given our kind of equal footing with Europe at the moment, you are probably two of the best teams in the world, which is not something I can normally say about North American esports teams. Especially in a game like Counter-Strike that is very similar to Counter-Strike where we kind of pale in comparison to Europe. <laughs> that is not the case, at least for the moment, in Valorant. Right now, TSM and T1 are the two best Valorant teams in North America and probably both top five in the world. And this tournament was really, really good. And it was an invitational. They had qualifiers with a bunch of amateur teams and four of them got in. And all four of them are really good. But two of them took maps off of Cloud9 and Gen.G. That is really impressive. The fact that these guys mix up. They took a map off of Cloud9 and they won 13-5. That is dominant. That is a dominant, dominant win. You win by eight in Valorant against a team who should, in theory, just destroy you? And the two rounds they lost, 13-12 and 13-10. That is really close. <laughs> like, the fact that on the first map, that first map was a disaster for Cloud9 to start off with. They were down 8-4 at the half. That was a mess. They almost... <laughs> They almost lost that first map. And if they weren't careful, they probably would have. And if 10s didn't go full-blown god mode in the second half and just destroy them. And that right now is Cloud9's biggest problem. They rely way too heavily on 10s. They have no depth. If 10s doesn't pop off, they lose. Which when you're going up against actual other professional teams, is a problem. Especially when you're going up against good teams like TSM. Because, guess what? If 10s doesn't pop off, Sabrosa, Drone, Wardell, they're all going to destroy you. Because... They don't need to hard carry. They All three of them can frag out on their own, but they all have the support of the other two guys in that group of three. Like, Sabrosa won MVP of the entire tournament, and deservedly so. Dude went nuts. Dude went absolutely nuts. I mean, 10s went insane. He is the reason Cloud9 made it as far as they did. But... They need more depth to back him up or they're not going anywhere. Because he's a raise main. I know he played Sage a couple times and was doing really well on Sage. But he's a raise main. You need support for, that, for a character like that who is maybe the most aggro in the game. And feels more like an Overwatch character. Like... Not even a Rainbow Six character. She feels just like a straight-up Overwatch character. Both in personality and in kit. And also in voice actor, because 
she's also played the same actor actress also plays sombra <laughs> so she in many ways is basically just an overwatch character <laughs> and tens uses her primarily so you need a breach a sage a brimstone a sova or a cipher someone to back that up because Wardell on the other side is playing Jet. And he is figuring out how to make Jet, who is normally a very self-serving character, a team player by using her mobility to blow people's brains out with the op. And it's impressive to watch. And then when he switches to her alt, he's just as deadly with that. Dude is a freak. Like, how he didn't just dominate North American CS, I'll never know. But I'm glad he's in Valorant because I like it better. <laughs> he's going to do great things with TSM. <laughs> he's going to do really good things with TSM. <laughs> like, it's scary how good he is. How good he really is. It's it's nuts. Dude is, dude is a machine with an op in his hands. And, like, shout out to TSM for being smart and signing the guy, because, good God, he's really good. He's really, really good. And, I mean, heck, that was a $10,000 prize pool. They won six grand. That's pretty good. That's, uh, that is definitely not bad. Like, that entire TSM team, those guys are nuts. Cloud9, I think they'll figure it out eventually, but guys like Reckless and Mitch and Shinobi and Vice, they have to step up. Like, just look at the kill breakdowns. TSM, 27 for Wardell, 18 for Sabrosa, 18 for Drone. 13 for for Carter and 8 for Haste. That is a steady breakdown. Now, on Ascent, 20 for 10, 17 for Mitch, 17 for Reckless, 10 for Shinobi, and 6 for Vice. 10s was playing Sage and he top fragged. That's a problem. Breach in that comp should probably be your top fragger. Breach and Sova should probably be your top fraggers. Then on Bind, 17 for 10s on Jet. Then 10 for Reckless on Phoenix. Then everyone else was in single digits. You need some balance if you're going to win. You can't rely on 10s against other good teams. You just can't. You're not going to win, as proven by that final. And TSM deserved to win. They were the best team in that, in that tournament. And since T1 wasn't there... It, by default, goes to TSM. I still think, overall, T1 is the best team in North America. I think Gen.G might start to slip a little bit since they're really good, but I think right now they're third. They won the T1 tournament mostly because the other teams who entered it had not been teams for as long, and a lot of the other professional teams were not full five stacks yet. 
I think now they might start to slip a little bit. And they're still really good. They're still probably top three in North America. Immortals is right there with them. I think they're three and four. I think T1 is one, TSM's two, Gen G's three, Immortals are four. As of right now. And then probably Sentinels are five. Sentinels are probably five. Cloud Nine is six. Cloud Nine and Sentinels are kind of kind of a toss up because Sentinels has had a very rocky start as a team. I think they will get better because how can you not with the kind of talent they have? And same thing with Cloud Nine. They're ridiculously good. They made it to the finals of this tournament against very good teams, but they have no depth. And until they can figure out, I don't trust them that much. That's that's just how I see it. Because you can't rely on one guy totally popping off in a game like Valorant. You just can't. You're not going to win that way. So I think they will eventually because Cloud9 is a very well-run org. They'll they'll figure out how to get these five guys to work as a cohesive unit rather than four support pieces for tens just blowing everyone up with Raze's ult. <laughs> but there were two teams. All four amateur teams at this tournament were really good. But Mixup and China Nguyen. These guys. Good lord. Someone, please sign these guys. I am begging you. Please, for the love of God, sign these guys. You will not be disappointed. You really won't. Other North American orgs, sign these guys. You will be very, very happy with the fact that you did. They will win you a lot of games. They will probably perform very well at a lot of tournaments. Let's be real here. That is absolutely going to happen. You guys need to just give them the chance. And if you do, it'll be so worth it. It will be 100% worth it. I mean, sure. The four of them finished fifth through eighth at the Immortals Tournament. But if given the chance, they could probably start to play better. If they had a big org backing them, they would step it up. They would 100% step it up. And that's a good thing. Because Riot announced yesterday, if you're listening to this, the day it comes out. Today, the day I'm recording it. The Valorant Ignition Series. Which, one, really cool name. And two, they aren't closing Valorant Esports off and franchising it immediately. That's the mistake Overwatch made. They franchised way too quickly. And that's why it's been okay for Call of Duty because the COD World League existed for a few years before they franchised and became the Call of Duty League. Good. Good, good, good. Keep it open. Here's here's straight from the release. As such, we're introducing... The, or I'll read the whole thing. During the closed beta, we were thrilled to see hundreds of tournaments and invitationals take place around the world. These events provided opportunities for the millions of players aspiring to become the first Valorant Bonjois, which, for those unfamiliar with the term, that it's a Korean term that basically just means best players. 
As we look beyond the launch, we want to celebrate Valorant competition globally by making it easier to follow the sport through a more organized cadence of events. Good. As such, we're introducing the Valorant Initiative Series, an official Riot Partner program where we spotlight a few tournaments each week, help discover the talented players, and build global recognition for top Valorant pros and teams. Good. This is what I've said, and a lot of pro players have said they should do from the beginning, is have it open, but supported by Riot. Have an open qualifying structure, essentially, and that's what exactly what invitationals are, to discover the best players. Because sometimes the best players might not be signed. And if you franchise it off, the system gets really closed and really clicky. And it's hard to break in. It's hard to get spotted, and it's hard to break in. So, I am all for this. I am so for this. I think this is a brilliant, brilliant idea. After a few years, if things are going well, then you can talk about franchising. But for right now, don't. Don't franchise. Just keep it open. Keep it like what CS used to be before they franchised and... Look what happened when CS franchised. All the second-tier teams jumped to Valorant. <laughs> Don't franchise. <laughs> you will keep your game healthy longer. Like, League of Legends franchised, but it's the most popular esport in the world. And it was when they started the franchise setup. So that is fine. And you had a relatively decent academy system set up in most of your domestic leagues around the world. So fine, you can franchise that. Do not do that with Valorant until you are sure it is ready. And I trust Riot to do this correctly. And I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Like, they've partnered with orcs all over the world. And this is the best part. Each organizer will use their expertise to design their own unique Ignition Series tournament. We expect to see a combination of competitive open qualifiers, show matches, and invitationals. Featuring top players of the game, established personalities, and aspiring amateurs. Good! <laughs> that is what you want! That is how you build a scene in a brand new game where you're taking on one of the top dogs. You are intruding on the market of one of the top dogs. CSGO may not get a lot of love from Valve, but it has a rabid, rabid fan base. And if you're trying to break into that territory, a territory that a lot of your fans don't like who is already established there just by their connection to Dota, you got to do it right. And right now I think Riot is doing exactly that. This is how you build an esports scene. You don't rush to franchise and slap city names on teams and hope that's going to be the best esports league ever. Because, let's be honest, it didn't work. It didn't work for the Overwatch League. I love the Overwatch League. That plan failed. That plan failed miserably. They're not going to be the esports top dog ever. League of Legends built organically and then they franchised. I kind of hope Valorant never franchises. At least for five, six, seven years. Keep it open. Build it up first. At least that's my hope. But I enjoyed the heck out of this tournament. I'm looking forward to 
whatever the next big one is in North America. I hope we get another good one. I hope we get to see the real T1 versus the real TSM because you kind of got a little taste of it during Twitch Rivals. But I want T1 versus the full TSM team because T1 versus four of TSM plus Myth is not as fair of a matchup as T1 versus all four TSM guys. So that's what I've got for Valorant. Up next, the the NBA is trudging along with their return, but a few people are trying to screw that up. And Major League Baseball is just being stupid, and I have opinions on both. So we'll get into that next and then wrap up the show here on The Mashup. All right, final segment, and oh boy, I have opinions because... One, baseball, what are you doing? You should have been the first one back. Like I've said on the show many times before, you are played outdoors with minimal contact. Why were you not the first one to start playing again? Really, you should be starting play like next week. You should be starting to play again in a week. Or at least doing spring training too. You should be starting back up next week. But no. You're just screwing around because Rob Manfred wants to kill baseball. The owners and Manfred are so set on paying players this same kind of insulting number. They're just going to keep stalling. Because if they were to set it up now, they could play a 70 to 80-ish game season. Manfred and the owners don't want that. They are dead set on this ridiculous 50 to 60 game number. That's, look, I think the baseball season is too long. I think 160 games is way too long. But 50 or 60, that's too short. That is a third the length of the season. That's too short. That is less than a third of the length of the season. That's insulting. And you're so dead set on that. You just kept repackaging the same deal over and over and over again. And then you blame the players union. You're the ones negotiating in bad faith. And Orioles fans already knew that. We already knew that with the Masson crap. Because you initially approved the Masson deal. Where, I don't think this is necessarily fair... But you made the deal to appease the Angelos family to let the Nationals happen that the Orioles would control the Nationals broadcast rights. Then, when the Nationals got more popular and that became less convenient for you, you tried to worm your way out of the deal and you were screwing Baltimore out of the All-Star game in maybe the most beautiful stadium in the country and just constantly trying to screw over the Orioles. Letting rumors about them moving to Tennessee start, which, again, that's idiot's conspiracy theorists in and around Baltimore who have mostly been spreading that, so good job getting them in on it. But you are all terrible at your jobs. You are all completely clueless. Now, I put some blame on the players, too. I put some blame on the players, too. But most of this, in my mind, falls on the owners. Because they negotiated in bad faith. They said the players weren't? No. They were the ones negotiating in bad faith. The commissioner is an idiot. Rob Manfred is going to ruin baseball. 
I don't know why the owners can't see that. He needs to go. If you come out of this, you could have been the hero. You could have been the first one back. No, hockey is going to beat you back. And they're going to start playing again in July. Which, last time I checked, not a very good time of the year for hockey to be played, traditionally. You could have been the first ones back. But instead, you might not come back at all. And then, because you're so bad at negotiating, we're probably going to lose another season in a year and a half when the CBA is up. So that's great. How is tell us when and where to show up not good enough for you? Rob Manfred, I 100% think there's going to be baseball this year. Four days later, I am not confident we'll have baseball this year. I know what he's doing. Trevor Bauer called him out for it on Twitter, and he's 100% right. They're so dead set on this 50 to 60 game season that they're stalling for two more weeks. So that 50 to 60 number in two weeks is a lot more reasonable because there is more than enough time to fit in 70 games between now and the end of September. There is more than enough time to fit in that many regular season games between now and then. But if they wait two weeks, you have to shove off about 10 games. Meaning, 50. You could play 70 if you set it up right now. There's more than enough time. But if you wait two weeks, you won't be able to. That's what you're doing, isn't it, Manfred? Congratulations. Everyone hates you. You could have been the hero of the entire sports world. Gotten hundreds of thousands of new fans who are just desperate for something because they haven't had sports for over three months. It'll be four when anyone comes back. You could have been the hero. Instead, no one cares anymore. I've seen so many people say, just give me hockey. I think Colin Coward's an idiot, but he has a point. Hockey isn't our sport. It's growing in the U.S., but it's not our sport. We didn't invent it. We made football. We kind of made basketball. We made baseball. They are our games. Soccer and hockey are more than happy to take that fourth spot from you. They're more than happy to fight over it between the two of them. Because MLS has a really good return plan. They're basically doing a World Cup just with their members. That's genius. Hockey, that round robin thing, it's a little convoluted, but you know what? It's going to be fun. Basketball is going to come back if, you know, certain players, Kyrie, get off their high horse. Speaking of that, what? Like, I get it. I get why these guys might be hesitant to start playing right now because it would, in reality, be a distraction. But at the same time, when is the right time? These issues are not going to resolve themselves in a month. You are trying to do 
undo over 250 years of racism. You can't fix that in a month. That takes years. That that would take two years at minimum. Maybe 18 months if you're really, really aggressive. Now, if the season was going to restart next week, sure. I'd have some concerns about that. But the season isn't supposed to start again until the end of July. And Kyrie Irving has a reputation as a bit of a pot stirrer and a contrarian. So he's just doing this to stir the pot. I think he cares, but I think he cares more about feeding off that conflict. Like he gets some kind of sick pleasure out of it. But the good thing is LeBron wants to play. And for better or worse, as LeBron goes, so goes the rest of the NBA. That's the way it goes. LeBron has a lot of voice among the NBA players because he's the best player in the world. And if he wants to play, everyone else will fall in line eventually, which I think is a good thing because I think LeBron understands that he has the platform he does because of playing basketball. And they're going to beat baseball back to playing. If they can beat hockey back, boom. The NBA become the heroes. LeBron James and Adam Silver become the heroes of the sports world. And they get all the eyeballs. And they get all the attention. And they get all the love. If you're the first one back, you have about a week. Until the NHL comes back. Because they they might stagger their schedules a little bit. Just like they tend to do. You got a week. Use it to your advantage. You're the heroes of the sports world. You can say whatever you want and people will listen if you're the first one back. And Kyrie's trying to screw that up because he likes stirring the pot. Dude probably wouldn't even get to play with the Nets to end out the season. He's still injured. So why is he holding the, holding the negotiations up? Because he likes to stir the pot. And he needs to get the heck over it. Because, yes, changes need to be made. And basketball would, if it started right now, would probably be a distraction. But when is the right time to start playing? Are we going to hold off the beginning of next season even more? Like, the beginning of next season is probably already going to get pushed to December. Are we going to hold it off even more? Are we going to not start it till Valentine's Day? Are we only going to play... 40 games instead of 82? What? When When is the right time to start playing again? Because you have a deal in place. All you have to do is hammer out the final details. And then you can play and be the first ones back and be the heroes. Why are you so averse to doing that? I don't get it. I really don't get it. I don't get either one of these situations. But... I don't make those decisions now, do I? I just talk about them. <laughs> but that's what I've got for today's show. Hope you all enjoyed. Hope you all enjoyed your weekend. I mean, it's Wednesday now, but, you know, whatever. Hope you all enjoy the rest of your week, and I will talk to you on Friday. See you then.
Get dirty!